believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. We who believe in Hello and welcome to Accented Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Today on Accent of Women, the second and final part of a speech by Angela Davis that was delivered in October 2013 at Birkbeck School of Law. The talk is called Freedom is a Constant Struggle, Closures and Continuities. I was listening to this speech recently and every point that she made is relevant and salient for those of us organising today for freedom. So I wanted to give you, the listener, the benefit of some of these lessons. Something to note, this speech was made in 2013, so prior to the election of Donald Trump. Angela Davis is a writer and distinguished professor emerita of History of Consciousness and Feminist Studies at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Her work as an educator, both at the university level and in the larger public sphere, has emphasised the importance of building communities of struggle for economic, racial and gender justice. In recent years, she's focused on the range of social problems associated with incarceration and the generalised criminalisation of those communities that are most affected by poverty and racial discrimination. Here's Angela Davis. This is not only a year of 50th anniversary celebrations, but it is also the sesquicentennial of the Emancipation Proclamation. And interestingly, unfortunately, we have not been called upon to participate in any um, nationwide anniversary event. Uh, uh, I, I, I remembered when... Uh, you here at least had the opportunity to celebrate the bicentennial of the abolition of slavery. Uh, and of course, I think uh, uh, your figure is well before us, uh, so you had to also uh, question the fact that a figure like Wilberforce would be symbolic of the abolition of slavery here. Um, But we haven't even been uh, uh, really asked to participate in any major celebrations. Perhaps the closest uh, uh, we've come to that was the popular film, Lincoln. uh, (laughs) Which actually focuses on the effort to pass the 13th Amendment uh, and uh, the the, uh, sesquicentennial of that uh, uh, um, passage will be coming up in two years, in 1865. The historical significance of the Emancipation Proclamation is not so much that it enacted the emancipation of people of African descent. On the contrary, it was a military strategy. But if we examine the meaning of this historical moment, we might better be able to grasp the failures as well as the successes of emancipation. Uh, I uh, uh, have uh, uh, thought that perhaps we were not asked to reflect on the significance of Emancipation Proclamation because we might realize that we were never really emancipated. Uh, 
Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, at least we might be able to understand the dialectics of emancipation. Uh, because we still live with the popular myth that Lincoln freed the slaves. And that is, continues to be perpetuated in popular culture even by the film Lincoln. Lincoln did not free the slaves. We also live with the myth that the mid-20th century civil rights movement freed the second-class citizens. Civil rights, of course, constitute an essential element of the freedom that was demanded at that time, but it was not the whole story, and maybe we'll get to that later. Uh, Eric Foner, in his uh, book, called The Fiery Trial, Abraham Lincoln and American Slavery, wrote that, and I'm quoting, the Emancipation Proclamation is perhaps the most misunderstood of the documents that have shaped American history. Contrary to legend, Lincoln did not free the nearly four million slaves with a stroke of his pen. It had no bearing on slaves in the four border states since they were not in rebellion he wrote. And the proclamation also exempted certain parts of the Confederacy occupied by the Union. All told, it left perhaps 750,000 slaves in, in, in bondage. And of course, popular narratives about the end of slavery produced by uh, the uh, uh, pronouncing of this uh, emancipation document by um, Abraham Lincoln erase the agency of black people themselves. So. But there's something for which Lincoln should be applauded, I believe. And it is that he was shrewd enough to know that the only hope of winning the Civil War resided in creating the opportunity for black people to fight for their own freedom. And that was the significance of the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, and as a matter of fact, um, has, that, has that film shown here? Some of you, do you remember the first, one of the first scenes, uh, which consists of a conversation with uh, two black uh, soldiers? I think that perhaps is the most important uh, uh, scene in the film. So people who arrive late <laughs> miss the whole, the, the most important uh, moment in the film. And in this connection, I'd like to evoke um, W.E.B. Du Bois and um, chapter four of Black Reconstruction, which define the consequence of the Emancipation Proclamation as a general strike. He uses the vocabulary of the labor movement. And as a matter of fact, um, chapter four, the general strike, is described in the following manner. How the Civil War meant emancipation and how the black worker won the war by a general strike which transferred his labor from the Confederate planter to the northern invader 
in whose army lines workers began to be organized as a new labor force. And so Du Bois argues that it was the withdrawal and bestowal of labor by slaves that won the war. And what he calls this army of striking labor eventually provided the 200,000 soldiers, quote, whose evident ability to fight decided the war. And these soldiers included women like Harriet Tubman, who was a soldier and a spy and who had to fight for many years in order to be granted later on a soldier's uh, pension. In the aftermath of the war, we find one of the, the most hidden eras of U.S. history, and that is the period of radical reconstruction. It certainly remains the most radical era in the entire history of the United States of America. And this is an era that is rarely uh, uh, acknowledged in um, uh, historical texts. We had black elected officials. The development of public education, as a matter of fact, former slaves fought for the right to public education, that is to say education that uh, 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 did not cost money, as your education here, I'll say parenthetically, uh, um, the fight was for non-commodified education. And as a matter of fact, white children in the South, poor white children who had not had access to education, gained access to education as a direct result of the struggles of former slaves. There were progressive laws passed challenging male supremacy. Um, this is an era that is, is, is rarely acknowledged. During that era, of course, we had the creation of what we now call historically black uh, colleges and universities, and there was economic development. This period didn't last very long. Um, from the aftermath of the abolition of slavery, we might take 1865 as that date, until 1877 uh, when a radical reconstruction was overturned. And it was not only overturned, but it was erased from the historical record. And so in the 1960s, we confronted issues that should have been resolved in the 1860s, 100 years later. As a matter of fact, the Ku Klux Klan and the racial segregation that was, that so, that was so dramatically challenged during the mid-20th century freedom movement was produced not during slavery, but rather in an attempt to manage free black people who would have otherwise been far more successful in pushing for democracy for all. 
And so we see this dialectical development of the black liberation movement. There is this freedom movement. And then there is an attempt to, to, to narrow the freedom movement so that it fits into a much smaller frame, the frame of civil rights. Not that civil rights is not immensely important, but freedom is more expansive than civil rights. And as that movement grew and developed, it was inspired by and in turn inspired liberation struggles in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and Australia. It was not only a question of acquiring the formal rights to fully participate in society, but rather it was also about substantive rights. It was about jobs and free education and free health care and affordable housing and also about ending the racist police occupation of black communities. And so in the 1960s, organizations like the Black Panther Party were created. Uh, and I should say the Black Panther Party was 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 founded in 1966, which means that there should be a 50th anniversary celebration coming up. <laughs> and so I, um, I wonder uh, how we are going to address, um, uh, for example, the 10-point program of the Black Panther Party. And I'll just summarize the 10-point program. Uh, and, as, and you might um, uh, get an idea why uh, there are not efforts underway to guarantee a large 50th anniversary celebration for the Black Panther Party. Yeah. Number one was we want freedom. Two, Full employment, three, an end to the robbery by the capitalists of our black and oppressed communities. It was anti-capitalist. Number four, we want decent housing fit for the shelter of human beings. Number five, we want decent education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent American society. We want education that teaches us our true history and our role in present-day present society. And number six, which is especially significant in relation to uh, the, the right-wing um, effort to undo the, the very small efforts made by the Obama administration uh, to produce health care uh, for poor people in the U.S. We want completely free health care for all black and oppressed people. Number seven, we want an immediate end to police brutality and the murder of black people, other people of color, and all oppressed people inside the United States. Number eight, we want an immediate end to all wars of aggression. You see how um, current this still sounds. Number nine, we want freedom for all black and oppressed people now held in U.S. federal, state, 
county, city, and military prisons and jails. We want trials by a jury of peers for all persons charged with so-called crimes under the laws of this country. And finally, number 10, we want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice, peace, and people's community control of modern technology. What is so interesting about this manifesto is that it recapitulates 19th century abolitionist agendas. It, and, 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 and of course, uh, the most uh, advanced abolitionists in the 19th century recognized that slavery could not be end by simply negatively abolishing slavery, but rather that institutions had to be produced that would incorporate uh, former slaves into a new and developing democracy. The Black Panther Party was founded in 1966. The program recapitulates abolitionist agendas from the 19th century, and it continues to resonate with respect to abolitionist agendas in the 21st century. A member of the Black Panther Party, Herman Wallace, uh, who uh, some of you uh, may be familiar with, uh, uh, he's, he was known as in circles that continued to engage in campaigns to free political prisoners as one of the Angola Three. He was released on the first of this month, having spent 41 years in solitary confinement. And he died on October 4th, three days after being released. If you're interested in Herman Wallace, you might uh, look at uh, 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 the work in which he collaborated, an art piece called The House That Herman uh, uh, Built. He was asked by an artist to imagine what kind of house he wanted to live in, and this in the context of having inhabited a six-by-nine-foot cell for almost a half a century. At the age of 66, another member of the Black Panther Party, Asata Shakur, who received political asylum in Cuba after escaping from a U.S. prison during the 1980s, she was just recently designated one of the 10 most dangerous terrorists in the world. Asata Shakur, who is a writer and an artist and who had made a life for herself in, in Cuba, uh, now has to fear uh, uh, Blackwater-type mercenaries uh, who might uh, uh, want to claim the $2 million reward that has been offered in connection with placing her on 
the 10 most wanted terrorist lists. Um, and I should say parenthetically, uh, when, when, I, when I learned about this in, in May, I, I remembered when, when, when I was placed on the 10 most wanted, uh, I didn't make the 10, 10 most wanted terrorist list. I, don't th- I think they didn't have one at that time, but I made the 10 most wanted criminal lists. Uh, uh, and I was represented as armed and dangerous. Uh, and you know, one of the things I remember thinking to myself uh, uh, you know, what is this all about? Uh, uh, you know, what could I possibly do? And then I realized it wasn't about me at all. It wasn't about the individual at all. It was about sending a message to large numbers of people who uh, they thought they could discourage from involvement in the um, freedom struggles at that time. Asata Shakur is one of the 10 most dangerous terrorists in the world, according to Homeland Security and the FBI. And then when I think about the violence uh, uh, of my own um, youth in Birmingham, Alabama, where bombs uh, were planted repeatedly Uh, and houses were destroyed, and churches were destroyed, and lives were destroyed. Uh, And we have yet to refer to that, um, uh, to those acts as the acts of terrorists. Uh, uh, We... You know, terrorism, which is represented as... uh, uh, external, as uh, outside, is very much a domestic pheno- phenomenon. Very much uh, terrorism, very much shaped the history of the United States of America. Acknowledging continuities between 19th century anti slavery struggles. 20th century civil rights struggles, 21st century abolitionist struggles. And when I say abolitionist struggles, I'm referring primarily to the abolition of imprisonment as the dominant mode of punishment, the abolition of the prison industrial complex. Uh, uh, Acknowledging these continuities requires a challenge to the closures that isolate the freedom movement of the 20th century from the century preceding and the century following. It is incumbent upon us not only to recognize these temporal continuities, but also to recognize horizontal continuities, ranks, links with a whole range of, of, of movements uh, and struggles today. And I want very specifically to mention the ongoing sovereignty struggles in Palestine. In Palestine, where not too long ago, Palestinian freedom riders set out to contest the apartheid practices of the state of Israel. But I have been speaking too long. And despite my critique of closures, I am compelled by time restrictions to close my talk uh, this evening. So I want to try to close with an opening. Uh, 
all around the world, people are saying that we want to struggle together as global communities to create a world free of xenophobia and racism, a world from which poverty has been expunged and the availability of food is not subject to the demands of capitalist profit. I would say um, a world where a corporation like Monsanto would be deemed criminal. where homophobia and transphobia can truly be called historical relics, along with the punishment of incarceration and institutions of confinement for disabled people, and where everyone learns how to respect the environment and all of the creatures, human and non-human alike, with whom we cohabit our worlds. Thank you very much. That was the second and final part of a two-part special of Angela Davis's speech, Freedom is a Constant Struggle, Closures and Continuities, delivered at the Birkbeck School of Law in October 2013. A special thank you to Backdoor Broadcasting Company for the use of their audio, and you can check out a range of speeches that they make available free of charge by going to backdoorbroadcasting.net. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au, and that's the digit 3, not spelt out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna, and I look forward to your company again next week. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. Oh, how can you rest? We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Until the killing of black men, black mothers, sons, is as important as the killing of white We who believe in freedom
to shine on me. I need to be 